Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is uh, Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today, we're going to take a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke 17, 5 to 10. And uh, this becomes then for us an incredibly important insight. Luke is now kind of leaving the parables that we've been following, all of those having to deal with the proper relationship between our life in the world and our life with the Lord. And, um, and here he now begins to give us an example and show us exactly um, what it is that we are supposed to be, that we are supposed to be doing as disciples of the Lord. And it begins with the, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord replied, but if your, were your faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the seas and it would obey you. In other words, we are challenged to mine the very depths and the power of our faith. And I, I think that for, for those who see faith simply as, as, as consolation, um, I think that's probably or a, some kind of a, a personal um, kind of gift that we use for ourselves. We're beginning to see, and it's beginning to unfold very much so now in the Gospels, that this is not, this is not in any way um, what faith is all about. Faith has, in, taps into the reality of the living God. And to say that there's a limitation on what faith can do would be to say there's a limitation on what the living God could do. And so he said, even if you had this little spark of faith, even if you had one the size of a mustard seed, which, which is minuscule, and uh, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. It shows us how little, basically, he's telling us how little we really um, develop our faith and open ourselves to our faith. How, how small our faith is in comparison with the vastness of its source. And so faith then becomes an invitation to move ever more deeply into the mystery of Christ, into the mystery of God. And in so doing then, begin to experience the great power of God and the, great, the vastness of his presence among us. And then he says, for which of you with a servant plowing or minding sheep would say to him when he returned from the fields, come and have your meal immediately? Would he not be more likely to say, get my supper, make yourself tidy and wait on me um, while I eat and drink, and you can eat and drink yourself afterwards? Must he be grateful to the servant for doing what he has told? So with you, when you have done all you have been told to do, we are merely servants. We have done no more than our duty. Okay, this seems in a way harsh. But it's not. It's not if we look at it. Jesus is not advocating the servant or the slave-master relationship. Jesus is using a social institution of his own day, and he's using it as it works, as an example of a relationship between ourselves and himself, between ourselves and God. So that we're not going to see in this some kind of a uh, 
some kind of a justification for the retention of servants or the enslavement of peoples or, or anything like that. What we're seeing is Jesus using something that everybody is familiar with in order to draw a conclusion and to, to, to teach a lesson. So once we put that aside, then we ask ourselves, well, then what is it that he's saying to us? If he's not advocating these kinds of social structures, then what is, what is he saying to us? And, um, and what he's saying to us is this. It has to do with the life of faith. And we said already that, that in using Jesus' words about the mustard seed, that our faith in, in relationship to its source is minuscule. And that the life of faith is to move us ever more deeply into the mystery of God and therefore ever expand its breadth and its depth. And in so doing then, participate in some way, shape, or form in the great works of the Lord. I think that, that we can see how faith moves that um, deeply um, in, in certainly the miracles that I'm sure all of us in some way, shape, or form have experienced in the course of a lifetime. We think, well, why doesn't Jesus perform the great miracles anymore that he performed in the, in the New Testament? Well, the fact of the matter, he is, and, and he does. Um, we, we can find uh, people cured of cancer through the power of, of, their, of, of faith and the power of the church. We can see, um, personally, I'm, I'm well aware of a, of a situation where a child was born blind and so diagnosed and declared so by Children's Hospital only to basically through the, through the faith and the prayer of his parents gain sight. These things happen. And they happen in great ways and in small ways in the course of our lives. But we cannot simply then have this minuscule faith as identity only. But it has to become an operative reality in our lives. It has to be deep inside of us. And in that depth of inside of us, it has to be tremendously powerful. And it has to be tremendously open to the absolute and to the infinite and to the transcendent. And so then Jesus goes on, once he has, once he has kind of defined the normalcy of faith as being, you know, minuscule and, uh, and the importance then of, of, and the power of what it could do if it would reach into the depths of the Lord himself. And then he says, you know, because of this reality, we should not, in the works that we do in faith, we should not be assuming some kind of satisfaction, some kind of credit. And, and, and I think that, that this becomes a great issue within Christianity and, and a powerful issue within Christianity. That the, the idea somehow or other is that it serves us rather than we serve it. And, and that becomes terribly, terribly important for us to make that distinction. The distinction between faith serving us and us serving the Lord through our faith. What the story of the servant coming in from the field is all about, once again, not about a, you know, an affirmation of social structure, but an understanding of relationship between, between the totally dependent and, and the absolute benevolent. 
And so what we began to understand then is that we owe the Lord everything. We owe him the very fact that we're alive. We owe him our existence. We owe him whatever physical good that we have in our lives. We owe to him whatever whatever um, good works we've been able to do. We owe it to his grace that we have been able to do it. Whatever whatever consolations we receive in our lives, we're, we owe it to the Lord for having consoled us. And that there is no quid pro quo in, in this relationship with God. He is everything and we are nothing. And yet, through his desire and through his love, it is his love which makes us something. It is not just the fact that we exist, but that we have been loved is what enhances and identifies our inner being as whole persons. And, and we, we struggle with this. I just, I just read a, um, an article um, that was really interesting. It was a Harvard study, I believe, that, that tracked um, men because... Um, they um, Harvard only allowed men in those days, so that was their that was their uh, their their source, and um, it kind of tracked them to see what kind of physical how their physical health developed over the years. And they started when they were students in college. They then did a major revamping of the study when the men turned fifty and then just did another major revamping. And it's interesting that the well-being and the health of a person in this study did not depend on genetics, did not depend on lifestyle, did not depend on diet. It depended on relationship. It depended on friendship. Those who had successful or happy marriages, those who had friends, those who had supporting family, and so forth, were healthier and greater longevity and enjoyed their life more than those who did not, even if those who did not um, lived a healthier lifestyle, even if they were, you know, even if they were freed from serious diseases and all of that kind of thing. This idea that relationship is the core and the essence of the human person is very much in this gospel today. For it is God's relationship with us that make us who we are. When we serve him, it is that we have done no more than our duty. We have done no more than be grateful for what has been given to us. And that, in a way, God's love for us is the inner force of our lives, the inner, the inner development of our whole personhood, the inner development of who we are and what we are. And when we think that we can traverse this world without him, then we can go to the secular studies that follow, and we can see that somehow or other, our notion of constructing a healthier, a better world, a happier world, is somehow or other not supported by, of course, this famous line about, you know, science. Um, we, we've gotten into this business now that, that science has absolute truth and religion is relative. Um, actually, that's not true, of course. Even the good scientists, not the hacks, but the good scientists acknowledge that the highest degree of certitude that science can reach, physical science can reach, is probability. And so this notion that, you know, science has all the answers is really ignorant. 
and uh, and it's really it really comes from a reconstruction, almost a new religious point of view of the scientism as a religion rather than as a science. And so it becomes certainly, if they want to call religion subjective, it becomes as subjective <coughs> as subjective as it's possible for it to be. We have to know that and we have to understand that and we have to be aware that it is love which is at the center of human well-being. It is love which is at the center of the making of the human person. It is love which has in some way, shape, or form enabled the world to overcome and to survive its own, its own um, foibles and its own mistakes and its own disastrous consequences. We have the capacity, I suppose, with nuclear technology and so forth, probably to destroy humanity, I don't know. But the fact that we don't is because we are loved. And because by being loved, there is some sense of accountability within persons to others. For we have a necessary tendency to diffuse the goodness that is given to us and to share it in the lives of others. It's, it's an old scholastic theology principle that goodness is of itself diffusive. That which we have received, if we accept it and allow it to grow in our lives, is naturally diffusive in the lives of others. And, uh, and, and I think that, that that has something to do with this parable. It's also true that going through the age of radical individualism, um, uh, that uh, kind of underlay and, and kind of form the foundation of, uh, of the modern problems, um, began to create such an isolationist kind of sense of the human person. It became very destructive socially and personally. So that the postmodernists now, even they acknowledge that a person is more, is less than they should be if there is not some other in their life. In other words, relationship is that which humanizes them, makes them a person, and completes them. So even in the most secular of theories and philosophy, we're well aware of the fact that, uh, that this idea of human love and being loved is the source, is, is the source of the humaneness of our society and the humaneness of our love. But this is why there's a tremendous difference between doing something out of love for the other and doing something for out of what we get for it. And, uh, and that's kind of the difference. And I, I know I've been criticized before for, for kind of demeaning altruism. Um, but the consequences of altruism can be good, but they often don't necessarily, they aren't necessarily good. Because being altruistic is, is functioning from the confines and the, and the constractions of our own psyche, of our own psychology, of our own understanding, of our own knowledge. And I use a great example, of course, is the United Nations Population Fund, which decides that <coughs> That, it's, that it is a great idea somehow or other to impose um, 
Western values on, on non-Western cultures and societies as humane and call it humane, when in fact it violates their rights. It is, it is the quintessential imperialism, the International Monetary Fund, which if you don't accept some of their sexual um, and, and, and gender ideology refuses to assist the poor in those parts of the world which def def definitely need that. That might be seen as, well, we're doing them a favor by making them think like we think, or we're doing them a favor by making them live, even though their world and culture is totally different like we live. It's the pushing of abortion and pushing of, a g of gender ideology and all those kinds of stuff. On, on nations which all they really need is, is food and water, um, on societies that have their own structures, their own values, their own systems, and that to exploit that through our altruistic work of the United Nations Population Fund or even a lot of our own foreign policies <coughs> of our government is, has nothing to do with goodness and has nothing to do, in fact is it's very dark, and in fact is it's very evil. That we are there for others, they are not there for us, um, to make us feel good about ourselves. We are there to help others who are in need. And I think that that's why we have to move beyond altruism, and we have to move into this whole idea of love being diffusive. If God has loved us, then we must love others. And if we have been loved by other people, then we must be able to love in return them and others as well. That it is not some kind of a pie in the sky kind of theory. It's not some kind of a, of a kind of a romantic ideal or something like that. Even postmodernism acknowledges the fact that it has something to do with the completion of a human person. And that Jesus is very, very adamant in his friendship with his disciples that this friendship is not earned by them. We know that. We know that they don't know what he's talking about half the time, and uh, they're critical of him a lot. And in the end, one of them absolutely uh, betrays him. So be it. But, but he loved them. And because he loved them, they became greater human beings than they would have been otherwise. I know there's all sorts of issues about the authorship of the books of the scriptures and so forth, but when we stop and think that basically they're fishermen, um, and then all of a sudden they, we, we have, although certainly with the whole transmission of the texts and the redactions and all of the kind, nevertheless, profoundly, profoundly, beautifully written, um, treatise on the experience of the Lord in their, in, in their world and in their lives, De deep and, and, and complicated structures within those things. Who were these people? Who were these men? Um, they were not the local scholars. They were not, you know, the, the local rabbis. They were not those who taught in the, in, the, in the schools and so forth. They were working men, primarily. Um, there may have been exceptions within the crowd that was called and chosen, but generally speaking, the ones that stepped out to us out of the scriptures themselves, um, these are just ordinary people. What makes them extraordinary? 
It's God's love for them that makes them extraordinary. It's Jesus' love for them which makes them extraordinary, which increases within them the capacity to receive him, and in receiving him, become ever more diffusive with the goodness and the love that they have within their own hearts, within their own selves. And so we too then have to come to, to understand that we are all neophytes. We are all, in a sense, children along this journey. Very few of us reach the heights of what faith can bring us in our lives. We certainly have the great mystics who have caught sight of that, who have surrendered to that completely. Um, we find it in John of the Cross, we find it in Teresa of Avila, we find it in Teresa of Lisieux. We, we find it also in, in the tremendous, that always is overwhelming to me, the tremendous gen generosity of, of the, the Jesuits in, in 17th century North America, the North American martyrs. Unbelievable the love that they had for the people they served, even in the face of ingratitude and violence and harm and eventually martyrdom that this is what drives the church forward and this is what Christianity is all about. It's not about structuring itself. It's not about, you know, whatever management styles we have to develop in order to survive as an institution in the modern world, fine, we have to do that. But that's not what happens. When someone says, well, how are we going to, how are we going to kind of um, um, reach people? Well, we, we can't, selfish. We can't just say, well, I got what I need out of this, and so too bad about everybody else. I can just, you know, look down on them um, because they don't have what I have. But they should have what I have. Everything I have, they should be able to have as well. I should be able to give that to them. And that you should be able to give that to them. That's what it means for goodness and love to be self-diffusive, that we don't keep this for ourselves and we don't act on other people in order to feel good about ourselves. We act on them because of their need. And there's a great theological debate about this, actually. And, uh, <clears throat> and I think that, that, that a, a, good, a, a good example of, of, one, of the, one of the responses to this is from the uh, 13th century uh, theologian Duns Scotus, who says that there's what he calls an affectio communi, <clears throat> which essentially is saying that uh, normally we choose things that are good for ourselves. Normally we do that. But he says there's also an effectio justitiae in which we have the capacity to choose good for the sake of the other, even if it isn't beneficial to the self, or choose evil for its own sake. And he says without this kind of ultimate freedom, we couldn't possibly commit mortal sin, nor without this ultimate freedom could we truly express Christ's love in the world for others. For he does not do it for his own sake. <clears throat> Jesus does it for ours. And if we are to imitate him in any way, if we are to share what he's given to us, then it becomes critical for, for us to, to be able to live with that kind of interior generosity. When faith remains minuscule, it becomes increasingly difficult to do that. When faith begins to grow because we respond to God's love and actually 
This is what, this is again a complicated theological process, but love is grace. Grazia in Latin comes from charis in Greek, and it simply means love. Grace is God's love for us operative in our lives. It is not a commodity. It is not measurable any more than a human relationship with another person is measurable. It is not something that we can in any way manipulate. It is the free love of God for us operative in our lives, which enables us to do the things that we should do as disciples of Jesus Christ and live lives of diffusive goodness. This is what's wrong with Luther's interpretation of, uh, of, uh, of grace, that it becomes almost like it's an extrinsic thing. It, it doesn't ever enter into our hearts. Well, if it doesn't ever enter in, into our hearts, then it isn't anything. Then it's just simply power. But when it enters into our hearts, then it's a relationship. And it is in this relationship, then, that we find the strength and the wisdom and the knowledge to live genuinely diffusive Christian lives that bring the love of God and the wisdom of God into the lives of those around us. It, we, in, in, and we looked at it also in, in relationship to Jesus and the disciples. Look at the transformation that took place in the apostles' lives because God loved them. And because through the struggles and the trials and the failures of their lives, they came ultimately to accept unconditionally that love and let it work within them as it would in such a way that they became much more than they had been before. And <clears throat> that it is, in fact, through this that all human development and progress, in the good sense of that word, comes about because it is the constant process of the enhancement of human nature through the relationality that it has with its source, with its origin, its destiny, with the divine, that increases within it, and this is what we call merit, that increased capacity within ourselves through responding to grace that enables us to receive even more, and in so doing, capable of a greater presence of God in the world, a greater presence of his love in the world. And it doesn't come through programs, it comes through persons. And so that what we do in evangelization, it's not only a personal thing, but we strive to develop persons who are also equally diffusive in their goodness and their love for others. For this is what, when we become purely kind of a private institution that consumes the gifts of God for ourselves, and then, then structures ourselves in some kind of economic, political, sociological way that we become contenders in, in the complexities of the societies in which we live, we, 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 haven't, we haven't really done, we haven't really been faithful servants. We haven't really done what this, what this gospel talks about. We haven't done more than, our, we have not done more than our duty. We haven't even done our duty. And so as we look at this gospel and we begin to understand this, it becomes critical for us to desire 
to open our hearts and our minds to the love that God has for us in order that we might share that freely with others for their sake as, and for the sake of the living God. And that we might come to understand that the faith that we have is not credited to ourselves as righteousness, but it is given to us as a free gift. And it grows only in so far as we are grateful to God for it and as we freely share it with others. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. Thank you.